Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, plus Captain America Civil War, Avengers Endgame, and basically anything that the character Scott Lang has been in in the MCU, plus a tiny, 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 teeny, tiny spoiler for Thor Love and Thunder. My name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this episode, we got a whole bunch of stuff to dig into. On the previously on, it's all those Super Bowl trailers, Indy 5. Oh, yeah. Woo! Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and our first look at The Flash. So that's a lot to talk about. In the airlock, it's the Ant-Man primer. Everything you need to know from the comics and the movies for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And in Nerd Out, it's from our listener Scott on the cult classic TV show, Twin Peaks. A real, just obviously like a full-blown classic there. And if you want to jump around, check the show notes for the timestamps. We understand that some of you might have uh, might be having some issues with the timestamps not being accurate due to the reasons that are too complicated for us to get into right now. Above our pay grade. Which is to say is we're looking into it. Yeah. Up next, previously on. First up, Super Bowl trailers. Football, football, football. First of all, uh, a thing we were talking about in a pre-pro mm-hmm. uh, that's worth mentioning is the media companies and studios continue to react to the pressure of falling stock prices and uh, potentially the popping of the streaming bubble. And it seems like everybody bought the 15, what is it? The 15, yeah, 15 or the 30 to second 30 tra- second, it depended. Uh, yeah, brought the, bought the 15 to 30 second trailer slot, not the full minute, and then pointed everyone go to online. their, uh, yeah, go online. It's on YouTube now. It's on Instagram, it's on socials. Which is smart because they make the ad money off of mm-hmm. uh, their own YouTube. So why, why not do that? First up, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, directed by James Mangold, <laughs> starring Harrison Ford, back again. He's back, baby. Phoebe, he's back. <laughs> Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Jo- Indy's granddaughter. No, Indy's goddaughter. Excuse me. Maybe they're related, though. Banderas. Could be a twist. Could be a twist. Uh, uh, you never know. Uh, John Rhys-Davies. Seanette Renee Wilson. And more and more and more. So many names. Uh, first of all, I want to be de-aged one day. No, I, I believe in you. Me. I believe in you. We can do um, it. We'll be doing. We'll be doing something in like eighty years, and they'll de-age us to talk about when I, we were on the podcast. <laughs> so, uh, we're also watching uh, Shrinking in this household. Yes. the uh, Apple TV Plus uh, show starring Harrison Ford as a uh, a therapist who has Parkinson's and. He looks approximately 50 million years older mm-hmm. in that show mm-hmm. than he does in this movie. And so Legit. kudos uh, kudos They're to the technicians of this movie. 
It looks, uh, this, it, listen, I'll see it. It looks fun. Yeah. Let's it, go. It looks fun. John Williams. We're not going to get much more music from John Williams, so I'm taking it. It's a John Williams score. Uh, I love Mads Mikkelsen. He was basically born to play like a Nazi in an Indiana Jones movie, <laughs> yeah. so good for him. Uh, hope that leads to some more Disney-approved uh, performances. I would like to see him appear in the MCU more often as different characters. So, yeah, it looks fun. Uh, I'm and sure it'll be great. to Steven Spielberg. Shouts to Steven Spielberg for just collecting a check for doing nothing, for just Proud sitting of back. Also, making the Fablemans and collecting a check. James Mangold, he's doing this movie. Let's see what he does with a weird supernatural type adventure because that's probably what we're going to need to see in Swamp Thing too. So it's a, a nice thing to see. I'm very interested. I'm a big lover of the original Indiana Jones movies. Yes. Crystal Skull, I don't love it so much, but I love some parts <laughs> of it. You know, like there's, there's fun to be had. So I'm hoping this is more like, you know, the originals. And we, it will be interesting to see. I do believe that the requel can be done well. I was a huge fan of the, you know, Force Awakens, Last Jedi. Yeah. So I believe it can be done. I'm interested to see it. What does this trailer show I, us that's new? Not much. Not much. Not much. I will say I'm I, I'm very happy to see them refocusing Indy on fighting Nazis, mm-hmm, something he's mm-hmm. great at, and and kind of steer him away for something else that he's also great at, which is stealing the cultural heritage yes. of various uh, peoples across the Thank world, you. so that he could put them in a museum or a in warehouse. Illinois. That no one's ever going to see them in. I mean, either way, bad. I still, I know I've talked about it before, but I still live for the Twitter created Oscar Isaac Indiana Jones reboot where he's stealing things back from museums. I would love to see it. But you know what? Indy, focus on beating up Nazis. That's a message we all need right now. Proud of you. Keep going. Up next, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 releasing (gasps) uh, May 5th, 2023. It was so interesting that James Gunn had more Marvel stuff, Ah! you know, really, than DC stuff. Uh, He directed uh, and written by James Gunn, his last official Marvel movie property, starring all our favorites back again uh, and adding Chuck Woody Uji as the high evolutionary. Uh, Not to mention Will Poulter as Adam Warlock, potentially opening the door to a rosy favorite. It's true. Look, I'm be real. Okay. Will she be there? Will Bova be there? Will Bova be there? I thought maybe they would put it in the trailer. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's more likely that we might see Bova on Counter Earth or wherever they end up. But I will say, if you are a fan of the Marvel Cosmic, you are going to be eating well when you watch this movie. You're going to be feasting. To see Adam Warlock on the screen, I feel like that is something, even in the world where Jim Starlin's Thanos is one of the biggest villains in the MCU. I did not expect mm-hmm. to see an Adam Warlock. I love Will Poulter. He's brilliant in Midsummer. He was brilliant in his the interactive episode of Black Mirror on Netflix, which is just so interesting. And I would love to see where this is going to go. I am excited. I will not hold my breath for Bova, but I will scream in the screening if she's there like I did for Mount Wondergore. And now I have a Bova I've... tattoo, so no one can question my dedication. <laughs> so this feels like in in the trailer, Drax appears to be suffering from some sort of malady. Now, in the comics, uh, Drax was created as a super weapon specifically designed to kill Thanos. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they're bringing in that kind of super weapon thing into the movies. Yeah. So that Drax... Because I, I, Batista has said this is his last mm-hmm. outing as Drax. 
and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Drax die here. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Chris, many of them you know, die. Chris Pratt and, yeah. as Star Lord die here. Um, but it feels like there's they're going to find a way for Drax to get on uh, on the Viking funeral boat and sail off. It to feels Valhalla. like it. And you know what? Dave's ready. He said, "Why aren't I? Why isn't anyone casting me in rom coms?" The world needs yeah. to know. I'm ready for the Dave Batista rom com. So I'm happy for him. You know, Drax. I feel like he made that character into something so brilliant and accessible and funny, but he's spoken about it not necessarily being like the deepest role for him. So I think you're right. I think we could see something like that. The trailer is very heavy handed on it being the end of the road and facing the music since you've been gone. You know, there's kind of playing on this idea of Quill and Gamora and their new relationship post, you know, the events of Endgame. So I think if you're a big Guardians fan, you're going to get a lot of not fan service, but a lot of payoff on these relationships that you care about. I'm most interested to know whether this is like a real ending of the Guardians of the Galaxy or if they're essentially clearing the way of this team because in the comics, Guardians, like many teams, there's been so many. And I think once you introduce high evolutionary once you introduce adam warlock you're getting more into the marvel cosmic you're getting into the infinity watch you're getting into that kind of stuff so i think we could see a different guardians team but i think this is the end of this guardians team i think this is going to be a very emotional movie about rocket that seems to be kind of the heart of the film we see him talking about you know the high evolutionary who wants to like make the world better but then rocket kind of says in this really great, very James Gunn line is like, he didn't want to make things perfect. He just hated things just the hated way the they way are. It was, yeah. And I thought that was like really powerful. It looks like we're going to get some kind of flashback to what we all assumed, which was that in the MCU, Rocket was created by the High Evolutionary and was one of his earlier experiments. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. Rocket seems to have a cute otter friend, partner, lover, buddy, sibling. We Love don't know, that. but it looks cute. Um, and Will Potter's looking like they painted him gold with face paint, and I'm obsessed that that is the route that they went. I'm a big fan. So, yeah, it looks looks good. I'm I'm excited. I'm intrigued to see where it goes. Will Bova be in it? I can only dream. Did you, uh, did you notice Nebula's blade hand? Mm-hmm. She got some upgrades in the, in the time off? I have to say, if there's one character that I want to see stick around in the MCU from this team, it's Nebula. I think the arc that they gave her is just so brilliant. And in the comics, you know, Nebula is Thanos' granddaughter and she Mm -hmm. is the one that Thanos kills uh, Mm -hmm. in order to get the gem. And I just think there's so much ripeness that they've kind of left to expand and explore with this character by not having her take that role and having Gamora take that role. So I'd I'd love to see Nebula stick around. I think Karen does such a good job. And I like this kind of idea of her as like a cool, ever-evolving cyborg which they kind of play into in the way Thanos was torturing her. But then to get to see her grow. Also, look, I know we've been saying it and I'm going to say it again. Adam Warlock turning up. It really is hinting that Thanos might come back. So having some he connections might, to Thanos, is, I think at some point he'll come back. Will it be in 10 years? Will it be in 15 years? Will it be in 20 years? But he is going to come back at some point. There's multiple Thanoses in Jim Stalin's hilarious canon that he has managed to create whenever he comes back. There's like many, many clones of Thanos. And I, as they even played with the idea in Endgame where we saw the, you know, the earlier version of Thanos. So I think that we shouldn't necessarily put that away, especially with Star Fox showing up, with Pip the Troll. These are ca- cosmic characters who are very deeply connected to Thanos. So yeah, I, I would like to see it. I, I love 
I love seeing Nebula. I think she's probably, her and Rocket are probably my favorite characters from the Guardians. I mean, I wonder if uh, off our uh, previous conversation about Drax and the in the comics being created as like this kind of super weapon designed just to kill Thanos. I wonder if the high evolutionary has some Thanos DNA and he's making stuff. Oh my God. That's actually such a good call, especially because they like we said, there's multiple versions of Thanos. You could go back there's through mo- time. Yeah. You know, you could just go and pick up his head that they chopped off while he was just trying to make yeah. some porridge at the beginning of the yeah. game. Very disrespectful <laughs> thing. He was just trying to eat some nice food. He was just trying to retire and they chopped off his head. I didn't see what they did with that head. The High Evolutionary could have gone there and got that head. I think that's a very, very good call, especially because the way that they played with that aspect of Drax in the movie was that Thanos had killed his family, so he wanted to kill them. Yeah. And he was kind of this killing machine, but in an emotional way. So that would be really interesting. Also, you know, there's always a chance that Drax is someone who the High Evolutionary has come into contact with before and created that weapon himself you know i think we're going to find out that the high evolutionary i don't think he's going to be like a kang level puppet master but i wouldn't be surprised Mm -hmm. if they find ways to connect him to other characters that aren't just rocket who is in the the second version of the guardians team if if we can indeed say that we're not already in a second version of the Mm -hmm. guardians team since nebula is on the team now and i guess thor was with them for a little while who will be in the post, I'm just Ooh. assuming post Quill, post Drax. I think Nebula will still be there. I love I think, this idea. I think that Gamora will still be there. I think Drax will be gone. Mm-hmm. I am hoping Rocket will still be there, but you never know. Adam Warlock? Yeah, I think right? I think some it kind of like Infinity Watch crossover. Also, right. if we were going to see like a Nova, that would be a good place for him to go. You know, we've we've been talking about that Nova movie, bringing in Nova. We know that the Marvels is going to be playing with the Kree war stuff. So I think we could see that as a place that he would be introduced. I mean, look, this is a character we've talked about a lot because we've been interested in seeing them come. But like Moondragon, that was a character we were talking about. I mean, Drax's daughter. Yeah, like that is a character we were talking about a lot during WandaVision. Yeah. That definitely feels like something. And I think the idea of using the team names, kind of how everyone expected them to do with Avengers, but they never really landed on. Guardians could be an interesting secondary space for that. Also, the real truth is that Guardians had so many members and really the team that we have is not even, it's not even really like akin to the teams. I mean, there's a Guardians team that has like Yellow Jacket. Yeah, I bet you... I bet you one of the scrolls from Secret Invasion goes to space. Oh, I could definitely say I really thought we were going to get that like as Guardians of the Galaxy, like that the would be Thor. Cool. But that you know would, what I will yeah. say as well? You know, you could have someone like Cosmo, who we know is going to play a role in this. They were he was actually like, or she, depending on the canon, was actually yeah. like in the team in the comics. That's like, right. We could have a Cosmo. That would be so cool. I mean, there's a version that has Carol Danvers in it as Captain Marvel. That's right. You know, I think she's probably a little too high powered. I think so too, but maybe there's a version where Monica Rambeau ends up in there, though I would love to see oh, her on an perfect. Avengers team. You know, there's just a lot of fun stuff. I mean, it, we're getting kind of into characters they don't have, but there is just so much space. You have like Cosmic Ghost Rider, the thing's been in there, Kitty <laughs> yeah. Pride. I just think this is a team they're probably going to keep around. I mean, heck, we saw, uh, you know, Brett Goldstein as Hercules, and there yeah. was a version where Hercules was in it. So I, I just think there's like a lot of fun 
that could be had with this team. So don't expect them to disappear. But I think you can expect to say goodbye to the majority of this team. But I think you're right. Gamora and Nebula, that's probably your sticking around with maybe Groot. But like Groot, a, 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 I think Groot, a Groot will be Groot. there. Yeah, we got to have Groot in there forever. Okay, uh, next up, here it is, folks. You've been waiting for this one. The Flash, uh, releasing June 16th, directed by Andy Muschietti, written by Christina Hodson, starring Ezra Miller as Barry Allen, Sasha Kale as Cora Zor-El, Michael Shannon is back as General Zod. That was a surprise for me. Yeah, it was big. I, was I think a big surprise. And Michael Keaton as Batman. Batman. But which one? Which one? Okay, <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. So this is this is a, you know a direct adaptation of the uh, the cross DC crossover event Flashpoint that essentially ended the DC universe ahead of. The new Fifty Two relaunch, yeah. uh, which is a super cool crossover, uh, certainly one of the most fun ones they've done in recent times. It was a huge event. It's kind of hard to yeah. like overstate was, how much of a big deal it was at the time. And it was Jeff Johns. It was Andy Cuba. I mean, the Cubits are like yeah. comic book royalty. So yeah, it was it was a huge thing. And basically, it essentially like set it was off, the crisis of its day. Exactly, and it set everything off into like a much worse world. That's like the main <laughs> yeah. thing to say. Like before New 52, when Flashpoint actually happened, the universe was so much darker. Everything was bad. We will get to that when we talk about Keaton. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't realize, um, I'd kind of somehow slipped my mind through all of this, like that it was written by Christina Hodgson, who I love, who yeah. wrote Birds of Prey. So that is kind of exciting to me. I'm trying to focus on the positives. Obviously, we've talked a lot about Ezra and their troubles. And I, I do still, I don't necessarily think this is the most, I, I'm not necessarily sure if there is a good way of releasing this movie at this point, but you yeah, know what? Is it not, is yeah. out there. Um, so yeah, Christina Hodson, I think that's great. I love Kiersey Clemens. I thought that was such a great Iris West casting and she did not get her due in the Snyder Cut release that we got. So I would love to see that explored more. Um, I was very excited to see Sasha as Kara. I think there's a big chance that from what we see in this trailer, that will be the Kara who goes on to the Gunniverse. Uh, right. So in Flashpoint, we're going to do this without spoiling anything, in case you want to go back and read Flashpoint mm -hmm. uh, on your DC Universe yes, app. Yes, DC Universe or, Universe or, or any library yeah, app. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 Barry Allen wakes up one day and there are no superheroes, a.k.a. metahumans. And his mom, who had previously died in his world, is alive. And he has to figure out what's going on. He meets a different version of himself. He realizes that he fucked something up and he created a world uh, where there are no superheroes. All this is in the trailer. And then he has to team up with this kind of ragtag uh, alt versions of characters in order to kind of put things back the way they were. Uh, and he's sort of successful and it's super fun. Yeah. Now, in Flashpoint, uh, Barry does team up with a reverse version of himself and a Batman, but <laughs> the Batman in the Flashpoint, now I guess this is kind of a spoiler, okay, sort you know of a spoiler, what? but not really. It's, this, is a, this is a light context spoiler light, that light is an interesting spoiler. and also now like over 10-year-old uh, comic. <laughs> yeah, it's over 10 years. But you know what? Okay. It's, a, it's a really outrageous choice that I've been waiting for them to do for a long time. So I, Yes. So in the comics, Bat, the, the Batman that Barry Allen teams up with is Thomas Wayne, Bruce's dad, not Bruce. 
so begging the question, is Michael Keaton playing Bruce or Thomas? Exactly, because, and the thing is about Thomas, the Thomas Wayne Batman is he is incredibly brutal. He kills. He's more, he is, yeah, he just he's like horrif- kill everyone. He's traumatized yeah. by what happened because in that universe that Barry created, basically the, in the night in Crime Alley, it was Bruce who died and his parents survived. And that ruined Thomas's life and that drove Thomas to become the bat. I think it is probably a safe bet to guess that there is a 50-50 chance that he is going to be Thomas Wayne, not Bruce. That would be I, crazy. I would love it. <laughs> I would love it to be like our Keaton verse, like suave. But he looked a bit rough and ready in the trailer. He yeah, kind of looks did. tired. He looks angry. Every Batman is apparently annoyed by the Flash. So that continues. And, and the here. action is... Like, th- there's that uh, shot of him dropping down onto mm-hmm. some baddies and just cleaning up. And he, uh, yes, we are talking about a Batman movie, Michael Keaton's Batman movie that came out in like 1989 and had a different I was going to say, my guy, he loves guns. He shoots people all yeah. the time in that movie, so it, it wouldn't it, be too far off. <laughs> but this felt... I, it is possible. It feels to me very possible that it, it could be It definitely could be possible. I... Also, I thought it was cool that, like, the version of Kara that we see in this... So there was a lot of... There's been, obviously, a lot of rumors surrounding this movie, and, and there was a lot of talk about... Um, and this was public, that Andy Mache, the director, shared about casting Supergirl and how there was going to be a young Justice League that was kind of led by the Supergirl, and, you know, Michael Keaton was originally going to be in the Batgirl movie, and there was kind of this idea that that would be the new world's finest, you know? But... We do get to see Sasha here as Supergirl. I thought the Supergirl look was really cool. I thought the suit was nice. And they kind of do this cool thing where they reflect Kara being in prison just like Clark was in the Flashpoint comic. So she is our Superman here. She's our Kryptonian. And I'm very interested to see it. Looks cool. I think, like I was saying, I think we can assume from that kind of rough, gritty story that they're giving her here, it will be that would fit very well into the the Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow story based right. on the Tom King, Bill Chris Everly comic that we were talking about that James Gunn's going to announce. So she is, a, I think, a top contender to come over to... I agree. Also, interestingly, so James said, James Gunn said, this is the reset movie, right? And everything afterwards okay. ties in. So after this, now. you're going to have Blue <laughs> Beetle. But we've heard, rumor has it, also I think it was maybe even confirmed, that Michael Keaton is going to be in Aquaman 2. And Aquaman 2 does directly connect to James Gunn's universe. So I'm very interested to see what happens there. That's These are the questions I need now, answered. We should add that we had, you know, one of our predictions, and honestly, like a, pretty, it's a pretty straight line supposition that we have drawn on this podcast is that much like the Flashpoint event in the comics, this movie will essentially kill off the Snyderverse version of the DCU and then move towards, we'll just call it James Gunn's New 52 or whatever, you know, the James Gunn era. Uh, It's pretty clear before that pivot was kind of grafted onto this movie that this was going to just kind of tie together all the disparate DCU stuff that already was out there, including a significant amount of you know, Snyder mm-hmm. uh, directed and creatively informed projects. But it does feel like they're going to move into a new 52 so. kind of paradigm after this. Because I was very interested to see Zod here, right? That wasn't something I'd heard about. It wasn't something I was expecting. Yeah. And I would assume that because there's no metahumans in this world, no one could stop Zod's invasion that, you know, 
Henry Carville Superman stopped in Man of Steel by murdering Zod. Shocking. Shocking thing that happened. Spoiler alert. But yeah, um, but yeah so I think that's very interesting because you're also already basically essentially creating a world without Superman, which I think is really yeah. interesting and sets up a new space for this young Superman movie that they want to do that's probably going to be more of a classical Superman or star Superman. This kind of idea of a hopeful Superman, a Superman who wouldn't snap someone's neck even if it would maybe save the world. So yeah, it's very interesting. It's coming out, I guess. That's. <laughs> I mean, well, that's, um, here's the other thing. I think that part of this, obviously you never know, but I think that part of this New 52 style reboot that they're going to do after Flashpoint, my guess is it will include... Barry Allen exiting stage mm-hmm. left and Wally West entering course, stage that's right. That's how it feels. I I have to say, my greatest hope for this movie was that we would get a kind of very quick. Oh no, Barry Allen is lost in the Speed Force. Here's Wally West. Like the Wally cast. <laughs> here, he here he is. It's hey. Wally West. The Wally casting in uh, in the CW was super great. You know, Kenyon Lonsdale was just absolutely terrific in that role. So yeah, I, we cannot forget that the CW did Flashpoint. Yeah, they've done it. A whole Crisis, Flashpoint, yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. happened. But like, yeah, yeah. I was hoping for that. I think that would have been the, I think there is a, a more holistic, sustainable, like realistic about the troubles that have happened to do with this movie. But you know what? This is not going to happen. But I do think you're right. I think that an outcome of this movie may well be Flash, Barry Allen, you're into the Speed Force, my friend. And then Wally West, oh, you're out of the Speed Force. Nice to see you. You've come from the future. You've come from the past. Yeah. I mean, he's already interacting with, in the trailer, at least one, the reverse Flash, one version of himself, Mm -hmm. and he will likely interact with more. Yeah. And I think it's an easy way to just be like, oh, who are you? My name's Wally. I'm from another dimension. I'm also the Flash. You know, I have to say, okay, just because I just have to say this. I'm not going to do any spoilers, but if you... If you do, if you are interested in the Flash and you like the Flash and you like DC <laughs> Comics, the 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 first episode of the last season of the Flash, it's very CW. Don't be surprised. But I had to watch it because the end of it is absolutely insane and introduces like the craziest deep cut but new character from Dark uh, Knight's Metal, and it's just absolutely bonkers. And everyone should go and watch it because when it happened at the end, I was like. This is not real. This is happening. So that's just a fun aside. Go watch it on the CW app. Get prepared for your Flash experiences and learn about a new scary reverse Flash. But yeah, I think you're right. There's going to be multiple Flashes. I wasn't prepared for the fact that we were going to be seeing like multiple Ezra's. I kind of didn't really consider how focused this film would be on them and on their version of Barry. But you know what? I would. It's coming out. And it's there's things <laughs> there's things to talk about and hopefully they are getting the help they need and so are the people around them that they have hurt. And I hope that there is a a good side of the corporate kind of conversation they're having about Ezra's getting help. I hope that expands yeah. to the people that Ezra hurt too. And yeah. Completely. I uh, I uh, wholeheartedly agree. Up next, the airlock. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. 
It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Well, we're stepping out of the airlock and onto the streets of San Francisco to give you a primer on Scott Lang's Ant-Man, the Quantum Realm, the Microverse, Kang, and He Who Remains before the release of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantumania on February 17th. We're going to tell you about uh, the history of Ant-Man, the suit uh, throughout the MCU up to where we are right now in the movies, including some explainers uh, based on the comic histories of uh, the people's places and things that are interacting with uh, Ant-Man, Scott Lang and Henry Pym. Um, Let's start with Ant-Man in the comics. Rosie, uh, tell us uh, some history about this character. Cool. So... Ant-Man in the comics. We all know in the MCU that the first Ant-Man that we properly met was Scott Lang, but in the comics, it was Hank Pym. First debuted in 1961's Tales to Astonish 27, created by Stan Lee, his brother Larry Lieber, who drew the longtime syndicated Spider-Man comic, and Jack Kirby, of course. But Hank is one of those really funny characters where there's like 15 different first appearances because he's had so many different characters. So a they decided to retroactively reveal he'd actually been in Strange Tales a year before. But if you're talking (laughs) about him in his Ant-Man suit that we know, that was Tales to Astonish 35, put on that suit and kind of never went back. Ant-Man became a prestige hero. There's lots of funny adventures. He's psychically controlling ants. He's fighting Loki with ants. And hilariously, Hank's... It's really interesting that we never got a Hank on the Avengers because Hank has been on so many Avengers teams. Avengers AI, Secret Avengers Black Ops Unit, Mighty Avengers, Grandpa, the time-displaced Avengers. And he was even on the Illuminati. So this is like a legit Marvel heavyweight. (laughs) He was was there. He popped on. (laughs) He made made an appearance. But like, this is a man who like has been a Star Wars MCU character. But maybe one of the reasons that he wasn't the first choice to be the main Ant-Man is A, because he is a... an older hero, you know, this is someone from the 60s. So it makes sense that the MCU wanted to give their heroes a lineage and legacy. But also throughout the comics, he has had a a troubled past. A spotty past. A spotty past past of treating people badly, which we'll kind of get to when we talk about another one of our heroes. But that's our first Ant-Man. It was Hank Pym. Let's talk about Ant-Man and the MCU. So the story of Ant-Man and the MCU, the Ant-Man identity begins with... Hank Pym, Mm -hmm. a brilliant, energetic and arrogant, but, you know, one might say fairly so, young scientist. Uh, Dates are kind of fuzzy for a lot of uh, stuff in the MCU. But when when we have specific dates, we'll tell you. But sometime in the late 60s to early 70s, Pym made the physics discovery of a lifetime. The particles he discovered, which he named after himself, allowed him to shrink or grow matter to mind-blowing scales. Pym developed a suit, the Ant-Man suit, 
and as a member of S.H.I.E.L.D., took part in secret missions that spanned the globe. At the same time, Pym had developed a technology that allowed him to communicate and control ants, and these ants often became his teammates in these various secret missions that he underwent. Yeah, I love the ant powers are, like, some of the best kind of funny Hank Pym series. Like, he will use the ants. And we get to see that a little bit in the MCU, which I really love, especially Scott loves to have a giant-sized ant as a friend. <laughs> so it's always fun. That's a really, really good stuff. By 1970, Pym was working out of uh, the Secret Shield lab at Camp Lehigh in New Jersey. You might remember this mm -hmm. uh, military base is the place that Steve Rogers underwent uh, training to become Captain America. It's also where, by 1970, the Tesseract, aka the Mind Stone, was being studied. And as the 70s turned to the 80s, Pym was collaborating with another brilliant scientist, Dr. Bill Foster, on an interdimensional transportation device that would, in theory, allow access to uh, a subatomic realm, which they named the quantum realm. The project stalled out because uh, Hank Pym is a fucking asshole. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and that is comic book canon. Yeah, yeah, comic book. He's a fucking he asshole. Sucks. He's, he he's sucks. a fucking dick. He and he sucks. and Bill Foster just could he not get along. Had enough. And guess what? <laughs> so Bill Foster, that was like such a massive moment for Marvel fans and Ant-Man fans, because he is like a key part of the lore. He, Bill Foster is a very important yeah, character. Yeah, he's a very important character. First arrived in Avengers 32 in 1966, another Stanley creation this time with Don Heck. Like, he was a scientist from Watts, Los Angeles. Like, how many superheroes come from Watts? Yeah. And he was hired by Tony Stark, which you will see as a trend of Ant-Man characters, actually. Eventually end up working alongside Hank Pym. And Foster ended up kind of show, showing that he was the better scientist. He helped Pym reconfigure his formula after Pym got stuck at, like, 10 feet. He was trying to be giant man. He got stuck at, like, 10 foot tall. Foster helped Pym sort that out. And he would later on duplicate the Pym particles to create his own powers, which he managed to do without Hank's help. And that was how he became Goliath. And he's just such a rad character. But guess what? He stopped working with Hank in the comics because Hank sucks and they fell out and they had a beef and then he didn't work with him anymore. So that is comic and, book canon. <laughs> and then he got killed in Civil War. Rude. <laughs> Rude. And then next up is one of my favorite characters ever. Someone that I felt was not getting her due in the MCU, but I feel like they're kind of changing that now, which is Janet Van Dien, a.k.a. the original Wasp. She's a founding... One of the great leaders of the Avengers. Yeah, not only that, founding member. Also, she was the one who came up with the name in the last panel of the first issue of the Avengers. She is the one who said... That's our name, baby. The Avengers. She called them that. You know, she was another Tales to Astonish character. Came out in 63's Tales to Astonish 44. Stanley, Ernest Hart, and of course, Jack Kirby. One of my favorite things about the Wasp is she's like a fashion designer and an inventor. And her relationship with Hank Pym, as we kind of mentioned, like that was his wife. That was his teammate. But Hank is abusive in some comics. He had addiction problems. He had problems with his ego. So that's kind of a a struggle, which I understand why they didn't necessarily want to dig into it. But I do think it's important to mention, like, Janet was the first woman on the Avengers, a leader yep. of the Avengers. She is a big part of why Monica is on the Avengers. I just think she's incredible. And I'm really glad that Michelle Pfeiffer is playing her because she is an icon. And I'm She's fantastic. She's so good. She's fantastic. And I was really happy when the second movie dug more into Janet and 
her kind of impact. I'll be very interested to see when we go and see Quantumania tonight, I will be interested to see how much of Janet's story they they build in. Yeah. So by the 80s in the MCU, uh, Hank was teaming up with his uh, by now wife, we assume, Janet Van Dyne, a.k.a. the Wasp, who was uh, doing missions right beside Hank in a suit uh, that Hank also designed, the Wasp suit. And In 1987, Hank and Janet were on a shield operation to stop a Soviet missile launch. Uh, The mission was a success, but uh, Janet, who shrunk to subatomic size to get inside the weapons casing and and disrupt the missile so it wouldn't hit its target, uh, was lost forever. It was thought forever. In the quantum realm, Hank and Janet's daughter, Hope, would then have to live the rest of their lives without uh, their mother, they thought. Uh, And this was especially traumatic for Hope, whose last memories of her Mm -hmm. mom are a precious thing to her, as we saw in the first Ant-Man movie. Now, Pym had always done things his own way within S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, and this was— Mainly because he did not trust S.H.I.E.L.D. with his technology. He never, he did missions himself because he didn't want anybody touching Pym Particles, being involved with Pym Particles, who he could not control. Now, it turns out Hank was right about that. He because was right. Shield, also, <laughs> because S.H.I.E.L.D., it turns out he was right. Because S.H.I.E.L.D. was actually Hydra, a, a spoiler uh, alert, they were Nazis, sorry. <laughs> like, he was right. And guess what? They were trying to steal his shit. Just like they were trying to steal <laughs> everyone's shit. Were. So you know what? He does suck, but he was right this he time. Was right he, was right. This. He, he was right about this. He was right. He was right. Now, Pim uh, would... About a couple years after uh, the fateful mission uh, to stop the Russian missile, Pym would quit S.H.I.E.L.D. in a rage when he discovered that S.H.I.E.L.D., very shadily, was trying to recreate his Pym technology without involving Hank and without him knowing. after Shield, Pym founded Pym Technologies in the Bay Area, which is a mm-hmm. company that uh, researched and produced consumer-grade nanotechnology, the kind of nanotechnology that you would use in uh, the medical field to uh, improve people's lives. Uh, in 2015... A fellow named Scott Lang, an engineer turned thief, was released from prison. Scott spent the next few months trying to get his life on track. He worked at a Baskin-Robbins, among (laughs) many other (laughs) fateful uh, attempts at uh, getting a job, uh, and attempted to rebuild his relationship with his young daughter, Cassie, uh, whose, you know, a majority of of her life he had missed while he was in prison. Frustrated and struggling financially, Scott gets roped into a heist job, Uh, And the target turns out to be some rich guy's house uh, where there's a safe. And inside the safe, there's this like weird uh, motorcycle looking suit plus uh, a a funky Mm -hmm. metal helmet. I wonder Um, what that could have been. It turns out it's the Ant-Man suit, Rosie. (laughs) Shocking. So, yeah, we met him in the MCU, like we were saying, as the first kind of Ant-Man that we really got to know. But Scott actually didn't debut until like a decade plus and over 180 issues of Avengers after his counterparts in 1979's Avengers 181. Created by David Michelini, Bob Layton and John Byrne. And just like the movies, he's a reformed thief and a kind of electronics expert. And he kind of gets on the straight and narrow by being hired by Tony Stark. He's quite a generous guy in the comics, old Stark. Yeah, Tony Stark is he seeks the good people. in people. He yeah. hires people. He needs he needs people to hire. He needs workers. And, and uh, we should add 
kind of a big deal because throughout this period of Tony Stark's comics history, this guy's business was like on the verge of failure all the time. Yeah, I mean, he was he very, was... very rich, but he, but the business was always like almost going out Truly. of business or gonna be uh, taken over by Stain International. Oh or my god, this, that, and the other. <laughs> and also, I will just say, unlike the MCU, Tony Stark in the comics, Tony Stark did pay the Avengers. So he was also he paying the Avengers and his business was going broke. Tough times. But yeah, Scott Lang's actually very, I feel like is one of the most comic book canonically like correct characters that we've gotten in the mm-hmm. MCU. Very uh, dedicated to his daughter Cassie who also uh, like came around in the same year as Scott as part of this redemption arc that he kind of was going on. And it's interesting because like in the movies, something I always find funny, I, I was rewatching. Civil War recently, and it's so fun when he gets bought onto that Avengers team, the kind of team oh, yeah, cap. Really, He's so desperate. He, really he loves it. Yeah. He wants to be. And then, you know, he ends up really something that I saw that was really interesting when I was watching the Quantumania premiere was that it was um, it was Paul Rudd who really wanted Scott to go into the quantum realm. And it was him who suggested this idea of the end of the first movie, him going in. And it was him who kind of really wanted that to be a part of the way that they saved the world in Endgame. So I love that he is so passionate about the character. And it's really interesting because he's still on the outskirts of the Avengers team in the movies. But in the comics, he's been in the Avengers, Fantastic Four, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Maybe he'll be in that Guardians team. Maybe it will be Scott's, Scott's team. So who hired Scott's friends to rob this house where the Ant-Man suit was stored. It was none other than uh, Hank Pym, who handpicked Scott to be his successor. Hank and Hope then spend some time training up Scott. And we get uh, there's some fun moments where he learns to uh, control the ants and he learns to dive through a keyhole. And and that first movie is so great. Is so fun. And after all that, his final test in the field is to break in to the Avengers facility in upstate New York, where he comes uh, to blows with the Falcon. Hank and Hope, after this, then give Scott his real mission. Break into PIM Technologies corporate lab to steal the knockoff PIM tech that Hank's former protege, Darren Cross, dun, dun, has been dun. working on and hopes to sell to the highest bidder. Scott succeeds. But it's uh, very messy. And in his final showdown with Cross, Scott, like Janet Van Dyne before him, sinks down, uh, shrinks down to subatomic level in order to mess with Cross's yellow jacket suit from the inside. Cross then disappears uh, into a portal and, and is gone, we think, for good. Is he dead? We don't know where he went at that time. Scott then floats into the strange and wonderful quantum realm. Unlike Janet Van Dyne, however, Scott is able to escape and return to his family and his new on again, off again. (laughs) We don't know what their situation is now. Hope Van Dyne. Sometime later, as Rosie mentioned, during the events of Civil War, Scott is recruited by Team Captain America. He takes part in the fight against Iron Man's pro-Sokovia Accord side at the airport in Germany. That's the team I would is shortly thereafter arrested. Same. (laughs) Scott then strikes a deal with the DOJ. He gets two years of house arrest. Not bad. And uh, at the same time, Hank and Hope are building a quantum tunnel in hopes of rescuing Janet, who they believe to be alive in the quantum realm. They kidnap Scott, get him involved in a scheme to help Hope acquire the components which Hank needs to complete the tunnel, uh, at which they manage to do. And using the device as a conduit, they confirm that Janet is indeed alive because she then takes control of Scott's body for a short period of time. Later, 
after all the hijinks with ghosts uh, and uh, and the kind of reckoning with uh, the trauma of Hank's relationship with Bill Foster, uh, which we don't have time to get into, Scott, in order to help um, Ava, who we know as Ghost, who uh, due to the quantum tunneling effect was left in a, a state of between phase, uh, like a dephased matter. Scott then enters a mobile version of the quantum tunnel, which is housed incongruously in his friend Louise's <laughs> van. And uh, it is this attempt to help Ava, a.k.a. Ghost, by bringing back some quantum particles from the quantum realm, which causes Scott to be trapped in the quantum realm. And he is trapped there for a number of years until he misses uh, Thanos's invasion, misses the snap, and misses all of this. Uh, and when he emerges in the year 2023, he discovers that his daughter Cassie survived Thanos's snap and is now a grown teenager. He missed a lot of time. And that, that stinger from the end of Aman and the Wasp is so great when he's in there he's bantering away and then we just see Janet and Hope and Hank and they all get dusted yeah. and we all know what it means and Scott's just in there trapped in the quantum realm trapped in Louis' van good old Louis I, I, I hope he's here I hope he's here this time I would love I, to I would, see him I would what be a, sad I, not I, to what see what him what an effect he has had on the on the MCU. When Truly. will they let him open the movie with one of his famous monologues explaining Montages, everything yes. that yeah. ever happened in the MCU? We need to see it. We need to see it. So Cassie survived. We got the first version of Cassie. Then Cassie was recast. And now we have the third version of Cassie, who we will actually see in the movie. Uh, and she debuted, like I said, in the same year, 1979. She first appeared in Marvel Premiere 47, created by David Michelini and John Byrne. But we got to fast forward decades. She was just his, she was Scott's kid, his loving kid, the kid he wanted to make good for. But it was in 2005's Young Avengers number six, where she took on the name Stature because she kind of had a power similar to her father's with the suit. She could change her build and her size. They kind of went through Antteen. They were kind of funny names, but Stature was the one. Though, as we have learned through these trailers and the promotional materials, that is not the character that we will be seeing Cassie that is not the alter right. ego we'll be seeing her take on. She is going to be taking on a much more contemporary moniker, which is from Astonishing Ant-Man number six, and that's Stinger. And that kind of more aligns her with Ant-Man and the Wasp and this kind of bug yeah. hero lineage. But I'm really excited to see where Cassie goes. Again, this is another Young Avengers member, so I feel like people are going to be getting... There's so many Young Avengers now, and all of us Young Avengers fans are like, when is it happening? They're going to happen. I mean, we know it's going to. We know gonna, it's happening. We know it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, so after Scott uh, reemerges from the quantum realm, uh, he discovers, you know, that the snap is a thing that happened, and realizing that he has some information that might be useful to the heroes in this world, he travels to the Avengers facility in New York in Luis's van and tells the surviving Avengers a crazy tale about surviving in the quantum realm and the time-traveling effects therein. This allows Tony Stark to build a time machine, which he does just like in his off time at his house. He designs it, uh, drives back to these Avengers facility, is like, hey, I figured it out. I figured out uh, time travel. Uh, did you try it? Yeah, we tried it. It turned Scott into a baby and then an old man. And, uh, and then Tony's like, don't worry, I figured all of that out. This allows, the time machine allows the Avengers to use 
the quantum realm to travel through time and steal the Infinity Stones from the past and thus defeat Thanos. And when last we saw Scott heading into uh, Quantumania, he was standing with Hank, Hope, and Janet at Tony Stark's funeral. It'd be really interesting to see what Scott has been up to since. Yeah, and I think you did... You brought up a really important point here, which is the the quantum realm allowed them to create this time machine, right? Which is the idea that time reacts differently in the quantum realm. So you can go in at one point and come out at a different point, right? That seems like it's going to be incredibly relevant as we go into Quantumania, a film about a man obsessed with time, Kang. He loves time, loves time travel, needs to be in control of every time. I'm very interested to see how long our heroes are going to be in the quantum realm, in the quantum zone, how long this movie takes. X-Ray Vision will be back. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, Eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. And we're back. Why don't you tell us about the quantum realm? And and then we'll, you know, put it in the tinfoil hat and we'll start discussing various <laughs> ways this could go. Okay. So we love the quantum realm. We talk about it a lot. It's we one do. of our favorite things. We also talk about how the quantum realm in the MCU has always kind of felt like, is it the quantum realm? Is it the kind of, is it like going to be their version of the negative zone? So basically, the most interesting thing here that we don't often talk about, because it's such a weird old part of comics, is the idea of the microverse, which is what the quantum realm was originally known as and was the place where the pin particles could take you. And the reason that this is particularly interesting is that this is an old, this is first ever from a Captain America comics 26. In the 40s. You're talking yeah, about 1943. This idea. Like, this is like yeah. some old weird stuff. And it's and it's where Captain America and Bucky end up traveling to this subatomic world. It was written by a pulp writer, Ray Cummings, and penciled by an artist called Sid Shores. And you're talking about an idea that is so old and it just made sense for them to say, well that's that's the that's where the pin particles would take you. It's a subatomic world. It's basically what we know as the quantum realm in the MCU. But the microverse stuff becomes more interesting as we head into Quantumania because the most interesting thing about it is that like so often in the MCU with Thor Ragnarok, which was essentially like a Planet Hulk adaptation, Marvel seems to enjoy looking to Hulk comics to expand the stories that they are telling. And in Quantumania, we have not seen it yet, but from what we've seen in the trailers, it really seems... 
like we're looking at another kind of Hulk adaptation. In Avengers, yes. n- 80, issue 88, Shrunken Hulk gets sent to the microverse and it kind of begins this journey through this place called Kai where Hulk meets one of his most famous romantic dalliances known as Jorella. Now, this is really important because one of the characters that we know will be in Quantumania is Gentora, who is the niece of Jorella. And, and, and in the from what we know of the character, she will fight alongside Veb and Quaz as one of the Quantum Realm's freedom fighters. And Gentora in the comics is a freedom fighter. So that is a very interesting... Right. Microverse connection. So so we should add that when when the Hulk goes there, what he finds is like a despotic ruler who is being uh, confronted by various freedom-loving rebels in the microverse. Sound familiar? Who then Hulk then aligns with, yes. Yes, sounding very much like what we may be seeing in the old Quantumania. Other things yeah. that the movie seems to be directly taking from. Krylar, the character who we know Bill Murray will be playing. His first and only appearance is in Hulk 156 in the microverse, which is when Hulk reunites with Jorella at micronic size. And it is just a very interesting space to be taking from. Now, in the MCU, I mean, in the Marvel Comics universe, also could be called the MCU, just saying, but um, that the quantum realm and the microverse have become the same thing, a lot of which is to do with, like, strange licensing, yeah, and IP, and IP issues. And but yeah. yeah, basically, the microverse is a very interesting, deep sci-fi space. And it seems like from what we've seen of Quantumania so far in the trailers, it's taking very heavily from these Hulk issues and also from this older version. This is less of the cosmic kind of purgatory that we saw Janet in. And this looks more like a Star Wars style, high fantasy, high sci-fi space. And as Jason pointed out, despotic leader who is being confronted by freedom fighters, we can assume Kang is going to take that role when we go and see the movie tonight. So yes, very interesting. Also deep connections to some of my favorite things, you know, like the Silver Surfer and Galactus. So I'm really excited It's also, as we are in the Kang the Conqueror space, we should probably just mention, we're going to keep saying it until it happens, but there is high potential here for for a Fantastic Four tease or a Fantastic Four crossover. I mean, you know who got shrank down uh, and stuck in the microverse slash quantum realm for a little while? Dr. Doom. (laughs) I mean, what if there's a world in which... Dr. Doom is the despotic leader and, and Kang is like the leader of the upstart rebels saying, who look, needs Scott's look, help. Look, I understand. I understand the way that the trailers have set this up. And I know yeah. that Kang is going to I know Kang is going to be. I know he's the conqueror. So I know he's the bad yeah. guy. But like, wouldn't it be cool if he wasn't? Wouldn't it be cool if this yeah. was a more empathetic Kang and Krylar was the despot or Dr. Doom was the despot? Yeah, I, I would really like... To see it. Because, like, I just love Jonathan Majors. <laughs> no, but I, I'm very, I'm very interested to see where this goes, especially because the, the correlations between the way we've seen the quantum realm in the MCU and what we know of the negative zone as this kind of portal between universes and a time where time goes differently. I would be very interested to know 
if rather than Quantum Realm and the Microverse being the two names for these things in the MCU, it's Quantum Realm and the Negative Zone. I wonder if there is a space where those two cross over. And I think like with Kang obviously being a direct descendant of, you know, Reed Richards' father, also Nathaniel Richards, I'm just so interested to see if they're going to finally commit. We know they're making a Fantastic Four movie. Like we know they're doing it, but are they going to lean into that here? Is that going to be a stinger? Are we going to get references within the quantum realm to perhaps another despotic leader who they kicked out or a portal that leads to a different space? I don't know. I'm very interested to see it. So let's talk about Kang, uh, a character who we kind of first met at the end of the Loki Mm -hmm. series on Disney+. Plus. We met a character named He Who Remains. Now, this is uh, a a pretty large adaptation of the He Who Remains from the comics, like completely... Same name, completely unrelated in terms of like what those two characters are. But in Loki, he who remains was essentially a version of Kang who defeated all the other versions of himself throughout the multiverse Mm -hmm. in order to bring a kind of stability to a limited multiverse, which he then kind of curated almost like a gardener in hopes that the other more warlike versions of himself would never arise to challenge him. Yeah. And we have to assume that the Kang that we meet in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is going to be the evil, most warlike, yeah. who, the bad version of he who remains before I think so. he managed to kill all the other versions himself. And Jonathan Majors has done interviews where he's basically said, like, the character is so different that to him they don't even correlate as connected. Like, he who remains is one thing, Kang the Conqueror is something entirely different. It will also be very interesting to know, like, was Kang put in the quantum realm? Like, did he who think, remains yes, put right? him there? I think he was trapped I think there. so. He was trapped there. Yeah. He, I think in the most recent trailer, he even says, this place isn't what you think. It's a cage. You yeah. know, so I love the idea of this kind of immense, vast world. And that's the only place that you could trap this powerful being, Kang the Conqueror. And, you know, this is this is very interesting, too, because I feel like we've talked kind of about time. Right. And but we know that in the MCU version, one of the biggest things that he who remains introduced in Loki was that rather than Nathaniel Richards in the 31st century discovering time travel, he discovered multiverses. So I'm very interested to see how that changes our Kang. If it does. And if it changes them. Well, I have to say, like, as we saw from the quantum tunnel, they're kind of the same thing. Yeah, in that they're, they're merging what, them. They are merging. Time does not move in the same way in the quantum realm as it does in the regular dimensions. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if you enter the quantum realm, you're essentially stepping outside of time. And from there, you can enter any other time stream. I can only assume that. So part of what makes Kang so powerful is he has access to this time machine. And because he has this time machine, he's basically able to study millions of years of history and figure out like how to beat every foe, how to design every weapon and how to uh, overcome every single obstacle and and variation of obstacle because he's just used his time machine to study every variation of every event. Yeah. And what he can do that is 
so utterly unique is, for example, I've been reading some really weird Kang comics recently, trying to work out which variants we might see, and also just because I like weird shit. And there is a version in the Citizen Kang crossover, there is a version of Kang who wants to escape kind of being captured and being stopped. So he goes back to the 19th century and he sets up a township called Timely, Wisconsin, named after Marvel's <laughs> original name. And his name is Victor yeah. Timely. One of the This is like a Bova level new obsession of mine. But in that way, what he does is in 19th century mi- middle America, he teaches everyone there how to become a scientist, how to make in crazy futuristic inventions. So he's not only able to go and learn from different places, but he can then share that knowledge and change the stream of time and build these spaces that make him immensely more powerful and essentially creates pockets throughout time of different backup plans and different backup Kangs. You know, so you're right. It's basically the same difference now. And something else that's really interesting in there when I was reading it, and this is something I think that we kind of, it's very tinfoily, but it's really fun and we have kind of thought about it before. There is this kind of general rumor almost, it's never confirmed, but this idea that while Kang is on his travels, he meets Dr. Doom and he he learns that Dr. Doom could be his ancestor. It's never confirmed, but there's this kind of, could it be? And then that puts him and Reed and Doom all in this familial line of absolute geniuses. So Kang is just... The most powerful. You thought Thanos was powerful. No, Thanos needed the stone. He needed the gems. He needed the gauntlet. Kang doesn't need that. Kang has his little floating time platform and his time chair, and he can just do whatever he wants from Chronopolis, which is essentially a palace where he can travel through to every portal where every Kang exists in the timeline. Should we talk about notable versions of Kang? Yeah, Victor Timely, not notable. Sorry, guys. That's <laughs> just a weird guy with a mustache. But it's yeah. an interesting it's an interesting use of his powers. Yes. I mean, the notable, uh, we've kind of touched on some of them, but you have like... Uh, Ra- we've touched them you know, in, the, in, the, in different yeah, episodes of this comic, for sure. Ramatat, the pharaoh. Kang wants to go back. He wants to be all-powerful. So he time travels to ancient Egypt and he becomes an incredibly powerful pharaoh. And that's one of the most famous... Kang variants. This was like his first attempt at time travel. Basically the first thing he did. Yeah, he was like, he was like, where do I be most powerful? Okay, cool. I'll just go in my sphinx-shaped, you know, spaceship and I'll just become the leader of ancient Egypt, as you do. Immortus? Yes. That's the big one. Immortus is like, I would say, probably the most famous version of Kang. Very good green and purple color color costume that you would love. I would say, like, visually, that's the one that inspired He Who Remains the most. Yes. And uh, it's really interesting because he is a little bit like He Who Remains in that he kind of becomes weary of being like this brutal, crazy, crazy guy. But he's still not like a good guy. He's still doing no. mad problems. He's still causing mad problems. He fights the Avengers a lot. He also like teams up with like really strange historical figures like Paul Bunyan and Genghis <laughs> Khan. You know, he o- historical figure yeah. in air quote Paul Bunyan. And he will also like, he will, this is one of the most interesting things about Immortus and why I think we'll definitely see a version of him. He often teams up with other Kangs. Like he is the right. he is the one who teams up with other Kangs. He also 
is the one who tried to marry Scarlet Witch because he knew that she was a nexus <laughs> being. So I would love to see some kind of situation there. And he also is deeply connected to the timekeepers and the TVA because right. he, he's kind of the he's kind of like the spiritual manager kind yeah, of because of he this, kind of wants it, to like use them to escape his destiny and control his destiny it's very he's a very interesting complex character but again the most interesting thing about kang is like he doesn't really have superpowers apart from right. being like really smart he's like so if um if the he who remains in loki is kind of like the kang who defeated all the other kangs and waited them out and mm-hmm. now is very very tired that is a pretty strong parallel to Immortus, who yeah. is like Kang, who just gets tired of it. It's just yeah. like tired of all the stuff and he's done everything and there's nothing else to do anymore and he's bored and he's just tired. Um, shall we talk about MODOK? Yes. Okay. I just want to, first of all, just so you all go and Google it, yeah. I just want to mention the Scarlet Centurion, who is a, not a bit, very famous Kang uh, variant, but he does have a very sexy costume. And it's like Uh one of those outrageous, like you look at it and you're like, wow, men never get cool, sexy costumes like that. So so shout out to him. But yes, there's lots of Kang variants. Will we see them? I don't know, but we'll probably see them in the future of of the MCU. So keep an eye out. And I think Immortus and Ramatat, those to me, alongside Kang the Conqueror, seem like the ones we're going to see first. Let's talk about our uh, our big... uh... Humpty Dumpty friend in the big chair with the big head, <laughs> Mr. Modoc. Originally uh, a machine, uh, <laughs> a mobile organism designed only for computing, later changed to be a mobile organism designed only for killing. Love that guy. Big change there. I know. If you ask me. I'm like, it feels like computing was a better option. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. he overcame the, the agents of AIM and became the, yeah, mobile, mechanized, uh, and mental. Can all, I'm kind of sad that he is not a product of Eamon. Like, I would imagine since, yeah. spoiler alert, he is a character who fell into the quantum realm, that he d- is a product of the quantum realm and not some kind of, d- you know, uh, deranged experiment by AIM, those yeah, crazy I wonder, scientists at AIM. I wonder if that. I wish, I want AIM to come in. We thought they were going to come in during One Division and they didn't. Like, I want to see, a, we've seen versions of AIM in the MCU, but they're like very minor, like militarized kind of people who just have the same name. I want to see the yellow suit wearing AIM who are going to make MODOK and do like terrible science. I think, I mean, maybe it could be that Kang was the one who helped him because Kang is a genius, but maybe Kang kind of Mm. did the AIM-style evil science that drove him crazy. Or it could just be his vengeance against Scott who put him in this situation and made him have a giant head and float around. Yeah, I think he got sucked into the quantum realm. I think he got sucked into the quantum realm and his head just stayed big. his head stayed big and his limbs got small and it somehow all worked. Oh, this is actually like a very interesting quote from Peyton Reed where it's like, Modoc has been waiting in the wings for a while. We hit on an idea of as we were going to bring the family into the quantum realm and into contact with Kang, how could Kang know about the Ant family? And then it occurred to me, you know, what happens to Yellow Jacket at the end of the first Ant-Man? So that's obviously, it's a, it's a narrative reason that he has become Modoc. Imagine you're 
fucking Darren Cross, a.k.a. <laughs> Yellow Jacket. You've been uh, banished to the quantum realm where you now have a fucking giant head, head and <laughs> little <laughs> limbs. And you've just spent untold amount. Like, there's literally no way to measure the amount of time. It's, more, it's you like you've been there compl- a million years. Complaining about Hank and Hope and Scott Lang. Mm-hmm. And, and then they fucking show up. Oh, terrible. Let me tell you something. Modoc is going to be pissed. P-I-S-S-E-D. Pissed. Yeah, I mean, this is such an iconic Marvel character. And like it really is. I, One of the weirdest yeah, they've and, ever and done. And I wrote like I wrote this big explainer for, which you can read at IGN, which is like a full comic book history. I read so many great comics. But the most interesting thing to me is I think he's almost a character like another favorite of mine, Shumagorath. Modok, I think a lot <laughs> of the love for him actually is he's been in so many video games. Like There's he so has many, yeah. such a wide reach. Such a massive, unexpected audience that will already know who he is. I'm very interested to see where they go. Because to me, Modok, sure, he's not like a Thanos or Kang level villain, but he's definitely a villain you could have for like a trilogy. Like he is like a a, a villain that you could really do some interesting stuff with. So it's going to be very cool and telling what they decide to do with him and whether he is just a one and done villain but like good for Corey Stoll get that check come back yeah get have your check, head baby. CG'd onto that giant chair <laughs> I was feeling it I was very happy to see that they did have the big head and it wasn't just the battle armor that we'd kind of seen from from trailers yeah, I want to see that head. I want to see that big I head I want to see that big giant I want to see that big giant head well we can't wait to see the movie. We're basically going uh, now? right from this recording <laughs> session to go uh, watch the movie. So, uh, you know, that's it for our little primer on Ant-Man, the history of Ant-Man and related characters. Up next, Nerd Out. In today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, or a theory you're excited to share, Scott is going to pitch us on a cult classic TV show by David Lynch, Twin Peaks. In April of 1990, ABC debuted Twin Peaks, and the country was never the same. Broadcast television was definitely never the same. I was never the same. I was 11. It was too mature for me, but I was intoxicated. The show was dark and scary and sexy and weird, and it forever shaped my view of what television could be and what my personal aesthetic would be for the kind of content that I would expect and enjoy. But it wasn't just me. The whole country wanted to know who killed Laurel Palmer. They were also charmed by Kyle MacLachlan playing Special Agent Dale Cooper. There was a established cast of older actors like Ray Wise and Piper Laurie, and there was a young cast like Lara Flynn Boyle, Cheryl Lynn Fenn, and Madge Namick. They ended up on the cover of Rolling Stone that summer because the first season was only seven episodes. It was short. It, it grabbed the country by the throat, and everyone could not wait for season two. Now, the network demanded they reveal the killer and resolve the murder. And once that happened, the show had trouble finding its path. The ratings dropped. They moved it around the schedule, and by the end of the season, it was canceled. But they ended season two, famously, with a magnificently dark and scary cliffhanger. And that was it. Canceled. We got a prequel movie, Fire Walk With Me, soon after from David Lynch, but 
It didn't resolve the cliffhanger. And then we and the fandom had to wait. We bought the box sets. We spread the word. We shared the show with friends. And we never knew if we would get anything else. We shared the lingo. We shared the music, the score by Angelo Badalamenti. We dressed up in costumes. We visited Washington State and took turns getting wrapped in plastic to play act at being Laura Palmer dead on a rocky beach. And then 26 years after the show ended, we got Twin Peaks, The Return on Showtime. Different, but brilliant. And with most of the surviving cast. Now, David Lynch, Mark Frost, and Kyle McLaughlin, among others, have said they would come back, they would do more. So Twin Peaks may live on, but you need to watch it, whether it does or it doesn't. Because you will quickly find out you already know Twin Peaks because it has seeped into cultural consciousness. And shows like Psych and Riverdale and Gravity Falls have directly referenced it since. So join us in the Red Room and enjoy Twin Peaks. Thanks, Scott. If you have theories and passions that you want to share, hit us up at xray at cricket.com and instructions are in the show notes as always. Well, that's it for us. Rosie, uh, you mentioned that you've got a bunch of stuff up uh, related to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Uh, plug it. Yes. Give us the plugs. Uh, you can read my work at IGN, a Primetimer, Nerdist, Polygon, Den of Geek. It's going to be all kinds of stuff. My big uh, Den of Geek cover story was just released. It is with the lead cast of Shazam, including... Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu and Rachel Zegler, who play the goddesses, who are so incredible. So that is going to be out now. You can sign up or you can pick up a a real print magazine in the old comic book shop. You can also find me at uh, Rosie Marks at Letterboxd or Instagram. Our Discord has been catching many jokes off of my terrible letterbox choices, including the <laughs> 1978 Doctor Strange movie, which I cannot recommend enough. It is so oh my gosh. so it is weird. It's, it's, it I, is said, so I was literally it's like, so it is so horny and weird. And people it's in the Discord so are like, why weird. are you horny for Doctor Strange? And I was like, no, no, go and watch the movie. It's just about an old pervy magician who like meets loads of hot Morgan Le Fay like women of various ages it's wonderful so yeah that's my other plug go watch those weird old pre-MCU Marvel movies Catch the next episode on Friday, February 17th on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And remember, that's our second uh, episode of the week. We're doing two episodes a week. Two, 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 Wednesdays and Fridays in your podcast feed. Two episodes a week. Yep. And if you want to see us with your eyeballs as well as listen with your ears, you can subscribe on YouTube where you can now have full episodes of the show. Sometimes we're in person. Sometimes we're on Zoom. They're equally as cool. Please if you want to see us on Twitter, on tweets, see the things that we retweet. Yes. You go to the XRV pod and you check out the Discord too. The Discord is where we meet up and hang out with tons of amazing fans and listeners. Me and Jason are always in there. We try and watch shows with you guys. We've been doing cool Last of Us ones. We share my terrible letterbox and rag on me. And we generally just have like a lovely time. It's moderated by the wonderful Heidi, who we always shout out because it's just a really cool, inclusive, fun, nerdy space. So can't recommend it enough. Five-star ratings, five-star reviews. We need them. We got to have them. We love them. Here's one from Mucho Uno. Great. (laughs) Thank you, Mucho Uno. I love it. Succinct. Succinct. We love it, baby. 
X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. See you next time. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.